Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. A few years ago, I was at our church's community center, this back in Ohio, where we used to live. And I heard a homeless woman there in our food pantry make an observation that still stings. She said, in this town, It's a whole lot easier to find heroin than hope. And it struck me. That's why we have a church community center, right? That's why we have a church, to be a source of hope. And you could certainly argue that never in the history of humankind has there been a time when more people feel so utterly hopeless. And so God has called every single one of us to be hope peddlers. The Apostle Paul says as much. Romans chapter 15, if you would turn to our key text for today, as we continue in our series, God's People After the Worst happens. And together, uh, we're looking at the trinity of virtues in the Bible, namely faith, hope, and love, today focusing on hope. And so we're going to carefully consider the counsel from Romans 15. Then we're going to get just painstakingly practical and talk about ways that you and I can be intentional about being an agent of hope. And then finally, I'll leave you with a hope challenge. Uh, And hopefully, no pun intended, but hopefully, I will be done preaching at the same time that you are done listening. Deal? So, let's see how she goes, shall we? Romans, our foundational text here, verse 13, where Paul writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul starts by saying, may this God of hope. Now you have to appreciate just how radically countercultural this title would have been in that context. In Paul's day, they did not think about hope as a positive attribute like we do today, but rather they saw it as delusional, wishful thinking. And of course, in that world, they were all about rational thinking and reason. And so they had no time for hope. Dallas Willard wrote, one of the remarkable changes brought by Jesus and his people into the ancient world concerned the elevation of hope 
into a primary virtue. Now, there's a window into that ancient world through the poem of Hecolides back in, what, 700 B.C. And you probably remember the basic storyline of Pandora's. It was actually a jar in the original poem, but uh, there have been so many iterations and uh, translations of it, and it has changed to now it's referred to as Pandora's box. Uh, the basic story of Zeus, the god of the sky, who was so ticked off at his cousin Prometheus, the god of fire, that he created Pandora and gave her this jar with instructions, you are never to open. Do not look inside. And of course, human nature being what it was, it was only a matter of time. She had to know what's inside this jar. And so she unscrewed the lid. And then suddenly, flowing out of this jar, all of these curses, death and disease and all of these awful things. But I find it interesting. You know what else was in the jar with pandemics and plagues and so on? Hope. See, that's how they thought about hope. Never would somebody have referred to Zeus as a god of hope. Nor would Odin from uh, Nordic mythology. Never would you refer to that god as a god of hope, or Moloch, or Baal, or any of the Eastern religious gods. None of them. But here Paul says, may the god of hope. And again, the reason they didn't really see hope as a positive thing is because they just thought it was delusional. It wasn't based on anything real. Uh, we, uh, we get a picture of this. Any of you seen the old movie, uh, Dumb and Dumber? You don't have to admit it in church. That's, apparently nobody has seen them. I haven't seen it either. I've, I really haven't. I've, I've only seen a 54-second clip of it. Whereas the scene on the main character, Jim Carrey, uh, confronts this woman, and he is in love with her, and so he just asks her point blank, so what are the chances that, you know, a guy like me and a young woman like you maybe would someday fall in love? And she answers, not good. But, but what are the chances? One in a hundred? No, she says, more like one in a million. And then his face brightens, and he says, so you're telling me I have a chance? <laughs> yes! <clears throat> now, as viewers, we know that's not what she's telling him, right? She's not saying you have a chance at all. You're just hoping on a delusion. That's it. It's a little bit like now at the start of the NFL season, a Dallas Cowboy fan saying, I hope the Cowboys win the Super Bowl this year. Now, as viewers of the NFL, you and I, we all know that's just a delusion. Amen? <laughs> this will be the last invitation I ever get to preach here, isn't it? But Paul, see, 
he speaks a lot about hope because it is anchored in historical fact, in reality. It's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so in his writings, he unapologetically refers to this God of hope. May our God of hope, he says, um, this God of hope fill you. Now, in the Greek, you is plural. And so he's talking to all of the believers in Rome. He's talking to all of the believers in Loma Linda. Fill you, all of you, in the south that would be rendered you all, with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Now, we're in this series, God's People After the Worst Happens. And last year, or last week, Pastor Philip did a masterful job talking about how we lean into faith when 9-11s happen, when we go through those inevitable seasons of struggle and loss and pain. How do we lean into faith? And the take-home for me, what he was saying, which I would totally agree with him, is you have to live in Christ. It's the most important spiritual principle I know. And Paul says the same thing here. We don't become more hopeful by trying to think more positive thoughts. Now, that's not the way spiritual life works. It's not by trying harder. It's always by trusting in Jesus, by living in Christ. So Paul says, may our God of hope fill all of you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love that word, overflow. Um, from the Greek, parisos, uh, which is my favorite word because I tend to be an extremist. My friends will tell you Carl is an extremist, and this word is a favorite of extremist because it means abundantly, excessively, way beyond what you could even imagine. He says, so may our God of hope fill you with joy and peace so that you will just overflow. In other words, you can't hide hope. I thought of this Greek word the other day at Costco. I was getting gas, and wouldn't you know, I went to the pump that had a defective nozzle. So every time I tried to put gas into my empty tank, it shut off like the tank was full, but I knew that it wasn't. I would have just gone to a different tank, but I didn't want to drive to Yukaipa to get into the back of the line. And so I just did the best I could by barely pressing that handle. And then I just started mindlessly doing this. It would keep shutting off, and I'd keep insisting, no, you pump. Eventually, the tank was full. But by then, I wasn't paying any attention to what I was doing. Suddenly, there was this geyser of gas that drenched me. As soon as I walked into the house, Shree, from a different part of the room, my wife said, what is that horrific gas smell? What is wrong? 
You can't, she didn't even see me. You can't hide. It was a week before I could even stand to sit in my car. It reeked so badly of fuel. See, Paul's saying, you can't hide hope. And there's a lot of research that would support this. I think of the work of Nicholas Christakis, an MD, PhD, researcher, professor at Yale University. He's done a lot of work in social scientists around the idea of social stampedes and three degrees of influence. As it turns out, the impact and the influence that we have, not just on our friends, but on their friends, and then their friends, and so on, is way more pervasive than you might believe. And so, there are studies that show students who room with more studious roommates end up studying more. Or people who sit next to heavy eaters in restaurants, they end up eating more. Or people who live next door to avid gardeners end up mowing their lawn more. Pastor and author John Ortberg explains further, saying, it's not just that our friends affect us. Our friends, friends, friends affect us. Your friend Ted is a friend at work named Ned who has a neighbor named Fred, and Fred's negativity depresses Ned who depressed Ted. You're having a bad day all because of some guy you will never meet. Isn't that interesting? But this is how it works. And so if a friend of a friend of a friend of yours starts smoking or gains weight, or gets depressed, you are more likely to do the same thing. But on the positive side now, if you just speak an encouraging word of hope, that not only positively influences the person who heard you speak this word, but their friends. And not just that, but their friends Friends, it's like a three-for-one coupon giving hope. Isn't that great? The impact that we can have on one another. So how can we live as agents of hope? Well, because hope is a theme throughout the Pauline epistles, we look to some of other writings from Paul, where he tells us at least three ways that we will underscore here. Ways that we can live as hope peddlers. Are you ready? First, he says, live in God's word. If you look up in Romans chapter 15, just a few verses, verse 4, he says this, scriptures were written to teach and encourage us by giving us hope. It is true. The more we read the Bible, the more hopeful we are. As we immerse our hearts and our minds on the life-transforming truths of Scripture, we become more and more hopeful. And then we overflow with this hope. 
And it affects our friends and our friends' friends and our friends' friends' friends. There is scientific research that would suggest the more we read our Bible, the more hopeful we are. I know this is true because I read it on the Internet. <laughs> now, I did read it. It's kind of a sketchy site at Harvard University, so it's not like real credible like your Facebook page or something like that. But listen to this study. I find this so fascinating. Um, according to this article titled, In Times of Trial and Trouble, Many Americans turn to the Bible for encouragement. Reading now, researchers found a strong correlation between Scripture reading and hope. And when they say strong correlation, they're not kidding. Notice this. On a scale of 1 to 100, with 100 being the most hopeful, Americans who report reading the Bible three or four times per year scored 42. So that's our baseline. If somebody reads the Bible once a quarter, they score about 42 on the hope meter. People who read monthly scored 59. Weekly, 66. Multiple times per week, 75. Even universities like Harvard, are discovering the truth of what Paul says. He says, look, Scripture was given to you to fill you with joy and peace and hope. And the more you read your Bible, the more hopeful you will become. Secondly, Paul would suggest we live in God's church, in a community of hope like this. Notice Ephesians 1, verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. That's the church interesting study released by Gallup organization every year they look at the emotional and mental health of Americans and they publish their annual results well during the pandemic it came as no surprise to anybody that by and large almost all of the demographic subgroups that they studied were way down in their mental and emotional health they had taken a precipitous dive. In 18 out of the 19 subgroups, there was only one demographic group in their study that actually during the pandemic, they have reported even stronger, healthier emotional and mental well-being. And you know what that group was? Quote, people who attend a weekly religious service. People who go to church. That's why we have a church, to be a source of hope. Oh, how we need that. 
today as so many people just feel hopeless. I'll give you a beautiful picture of this. My wife just started teaching third and fourth graders down at Loma Linda Academy. Loves the kids, loves her job. Uh, but to say that it has been stressful would be an understatement. Uh, I've hardly seen her since school started. Um, and a part of it is that they just haven't been able to get her computers working right and, and uh, get her online there and the website she needs to go to and so on. And so this all kind of came to a boil the other day when she was scheduled to meet with the parents, first parents meeting, uh, but she desperately needed to get into the computer to get curriculum and stuff for the kids to take home, and it, it, they, they, she just couldn't do it, and she stood there as they were feverishly working on her keyboard and so on, and, and she just started trembling, just felt so overwhelmed in that moment, and just so unbelievably stressed. When a church member Maybe one of you, I don't even know who it was, but a church member, a colleague, somebody she had just met, also a teacher there at the school, and she just said the perfect thing. She didn't say, hey, Tree, you're going to make it, don't worry, which would have been appropriate, would have been fine. But instead, she noticed Shree just standing there, you know, wondering, what am I going to do? What do I do here? And this woman, God bless her, came. She put her hand on my wife's hand. And she said, Shree, we will get you through this. They're great. You're not alone. We're part of this beautiful, God-ordained community of hope. And we will get you through this. As soon as Shri got home that night, she told me this story. The one teacher who just lifted her out of this pit that she felt like she was in. And then just hearing the story, it raised my own spirits. And now I'm telling all of you and all of our viewers online, on the broadcast. And see, this is how hope happens. A friend of a friend of a friend, such a small, beautiful gesture, which with such profound impact. That's the way hope happens. It spreads like a virus. It's contagious. It spreads faster than the Delta variant from friend to friend to friend. And before we know it, we have triggered a pandemic of hope. I'm telling you, friends, if we get this, God will change this world through you and me by the power of his Holy Spirit as we just overflow with hope. So how can we be a part of that revolution of hope? 
Live in God's Word. Live in God's church. And finally, live in God's Spirit. I love Colossians 1, verse 27. Paul writes, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, notice this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And remember, our key text ends with, you will overflow with hope, how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. It is Christ living in us. So just imagine what could happen if all of us were to be always living in that sacred space of surrender to the Spirit, receptive and responsive, whatever God's calling us to do by the indwelling of His Spirit, and we just do it. When God prompts us through His Holy Spirit to go and say a word of hope, Do something that will help somebody feel that hope. Again, we could change the world. I was preaching on this very topic. The next day, I was in Houston, flying home Friday afternoon, working on this sermon, the early Christian church, looking at all of these miracles recorded in Acts. And as I settled into my seat there on the plane, I found myself in prayer In my mind, saying, God, how could I experience the same kind of miracles? How could I live in such an intimate connection with Christ and your spirit that I would see you manifest yourself in these ways? And just about then, a woman came uh, stumbling up from the back of the plane. She got a reassignment on her seat, and so she sat down next to me. And I, I didn't hear an audible voice, but it was as clearly as I've ever discerned God speaking to me. It was just this strong prompting, well, turn to this woman next to you and start up a conversation. I found myself arguing. Oh, God, I don't want to do it. You know, I hate talking to strangers on planes. I do, but it was clear what you were asking me, Carl. How do you live in that way? I'm telling you, talk to this woman. And again, in my mind, I just have this angst because I'm saying, but God, that's why I wear the universal symbol that screams, I don't want to talk to anybody on this airplane. I wear noise-canceling headphones. Big ones, the size of a Volkswagen bug on either ear. (laughs) And it was as if God said, fine, you're so stubborn, I'll work with her. And in that moment, she turns to me, she says, "Um, the most random question I've ever received, just out of the blue, she asks me, are you a priest? Do I look like a priest to you? I was not wearing a clerical collar or anything like that. I shook my head because, see, that's the problem with noise-canceling headphones. You can still hear what people say to you. (laughs) Then she asked, are you a rabbi? (laughs) 
are you a pastor? Now she's just gone to meddling. <laughs> I took off my headphones and I said, actually, I am a pastor. Um, have we met before? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, I just had a strong sense from God that he was going to put me into a seat next to somebody who works for him. <laughs> I just knew God was going to remind me when they gave me a new seat assignment that he hasn't forgotten me. So I asked, well, tell me your story. What's, what's going on in your life? And you know, I just spent the last three days with my brother in Houston. He has leukemia, best oncologists in the world. I've told him there is no hope. Put your affairs in order. So for the last three days, I've hardly eaten anything. I hardly slept at all. I've never been more physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually exhausted. I am so drained. But I just felt this prompting from God that he would remind me that he has not forgotten me. And that there's still reason to hope. the entire flight. We talked about what a terrible disease cancer is. We talked about our families and our spiritual journeys. We talked about why such terrible things happen to good people like her brother. When we landed, I said, Chris, would it be okay if I shared your story with my church family, and we'll all be lifting you and your brother and your family up in prayer. And Before she could even respond, she just burst into tears, just convulsing sobs. And finally, when she regained her composure enough to talk, she just nodded and finally said, um, that would mean more to me than I can even tell you. A few days later, I received this text message from her. Dear Carl, being able to share with you on that flight meant so much to me. God used you to bring such comfort. Owen lost his battle with leukemia. He was a wonderful man, brother, who loved the Lord and is very much missed. Thank you so much for being there when I desperately needed to know that God had not forsaken me. Ours was a divine appointment. And I wonder, how many of those divine appointments have I missed? Because I don't want to take off my noise-canceling headphones. I'm just 
so busy. My life is so cluttered. There's so much noise and hurry. And I just don't take time to sit still, to discern that still, small voice of the Spirit prompting me to be an agent of hope. What would happen if all of us were to make a covenant with each other and with God in this moment to say, God, I am going to live in that sacred space of surrender, receptive and responsive to the promptings of your spirit. Make me an agent of hope. And so to help you with this, I give you a hope challenge. I have paraphrased our key text and put it into a prayer. Thus, I call it a paraphrase. You should have received this paraphrase on your way into the sanctuary today. And I'm encouraging all of you to put this somewhere where you are going to see it often. And every time you see it, just pray this simple prayer. If you want more, Pick up a few extra on your way out today. I think we have plenty. And so I've been doing this now for a few days. I taped one up on my mirror. And so every morning as I shave, I pray out loud, God of hope, may or fill me with all joy and peace as I trust in you so that I may overflow with hope by the power of your Holy Spirit. And then I put it on my screensaver. I'd suggest you do the same. So when I walk into the office on the big screen there on my desk, I see this prayer, and I pray it again. Today, God, may I be an agent of your hope. I put it on the dashboard in my car. And the other day, as I flew through a speed trap, I instinctively looked to the speedometer, and this is what I saw. And I prayed, oh, God of hope. <laughs> God of hope. And I know you're going to want to know the rest of this story, aren't you? I did not get a speeding ticket. This is gold, friends. <laughs> this is gold. So join me, won't you? As a community, we prayerfully beseech God to fill us with all joy and peace so that as we trust in him, he will overflow us with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit and by his grace, we will spark a revolution, a pandemic of hope. Find more podcasts 
videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at lluc.org.